Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au. Greetings, everybody. Some 740 years before the birth of Christ, this was written in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us, exactly. Let us pray. Lord, help us to open our hearts now, just to minimise the distractions that are around us. And Lord, that we can just focus on you. The Holy Spirit, we just ask for you to minister to each person today. We desire to learn from your word. Let your word just cut deeply into our hearts. Challenge us, Lord. Convict us. Help us to be honest with our lack of submission. Sometimes we really do struggle with that, Lord. Let today be a day we see your radiance, your glory, your majesty, as you choose to, lose, to leave your throne and to come here really in the muck of this world, to lift us out of it. Lord, we just commit this time to you now, in your holy and precious name. Amen. Some 33 years ago, Kathy and myself were down at Portland, and we were sitting on top of a cliff. Now, back then, technology within cars were far simpler. I understood carburetors, fuel injectors is a bit of a problem now with these days, but there was this four-wheel drive vehicle that was playing chicken with the ocean. We were looking down from the cliffs, looking down on the beach, and this four-wheel drive was having a great deal of fun by driving into the ocean and out. He was basically showing off to his girlfriend. And we were just sitting and watching that and thinking, oh, they're having a great old time. What do you think happened? Up comes the sea under the engine, goes into the carburetor, and stop. He stops there in the ocean. Oh dear. <laughs> it's kind of like we're just sitting and watching this event thinking this is interesting. And was the ocean going out or was the ocean coming in? It was coming in. So the ocean was coming in. He was trying to get this car started. He had no hope. And the ocean was going to swallow up his car and take it out. And you know what it's like, kids, when you stand in the Ruby, you know when you stand in the ocean and the sea's going in and out, do you sink down? Yeah, well, this car weighed a heat and it sank down. And we were just watching this thinking, oh dear, this is serious. So what do we do? We go down to the beach and I run out to him and I just told him, stop what you're doing. Get in the car, lift your bonnet, do this, do that. I jumped underneath, ripped off the air filter, grabbed my hand over the carburetor, became the choke. You know, we can easily do that. And I told him what to do. We got the car started. I jumped off, 
and he just took straight off. Do you think there was a thank you? <laughs> no, he just took off. And uh, the sea was just coming in under it. I think he was very grateful. That guy was in crisis. And did he have a single doubt to allow me to take control of the situation? None at all. He had a crisis and he needed desperate help to be saved. And he didn't think for one second. His pride, he was there showing off his girlfriend as far as what was taking place. Well, that went out the window and he needed help. Our crisis, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, when I say fall short, biblically, we think in a race, we can just get over the line, we just fell short. No, when it says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory, we are as far as the east is from the west from his glory because of our sin. And Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ our Lord. At what point will it be that we can come to recognise that we need that help, that we need that salvation, that we need what we can't do? That four-wheel drive owner, well... He had lost his pride and he realised he needed help. He could do nothing. He surrendered himself basically to myself to do whatever. He'd lost all hope. Here is where I'm heading today. When I first started in the workforce, I was very young and all the people above me were about 10 to 12 years older. And I came in very naively but very enthusiastically and I was a Christian there and I wanted to share and talk to them and they made a commitment that within two years we'll knock this out of Stephen. Well the blessing was that 30 years passed that one of the guys watched 30 years and didn't get knocked out but one of the questions which they had asked of me which I'm sure you've experienced this question is if God is such a God of love how can he send people to hell? It was given to me as a trick question because, you know, how was I going to answer this? Well, the real question is not that question. The real question is, what did God do to save us? That's the real question. And that's the question they didn't want to hear. The Christmas story is about the greatest rescue mission that has ever taken place. This is what Christmas is about. In fact, even before time existed, God knew that this rescue mission was going to take place. Now, we're going to focus on Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 14. Now, we'll start with Luke doesn't start with the manger scene, he doesn't start with Mary or Joseph, he starts somewhere 4,000 kilometres away. He starts in Rome. Let's read verses 1 to 3. 
In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Luke is unfolding how how Jerry, Joseph and Mary got to Bethlehem. This is the beginning, the story of the birth of Christ. But the, the story is about a census that was to take place. Now, it's interesting looking historically, as far as some people say it was for taxation reasons. Do you know what that is? They want your money. <laughs> but was it for that? We're not quite sure. It could have been a census for getting people account of how many people in that district. It could have also been a census for military reasons. Generally, it's considered for taxation. But they wanted to know how many people, and that's what the, the um, emperor was doing. Now, he, this is Caesar Augustus, he was originally named Octavius, so it's a little bit of a, a history lesson. He was called Octavius. He was renamed Caesar, and he came to power something like 29 years before the birth of Christ. Now, when he came into power, it was a time of great unheaval as far as Rome was on the brink of collapse. There was a lot of civil wars taking place within Rome itself, and it was basically a mess. And by the time that he came into power at 29 BC, um, he took it over, he brought a time of peace and prosperity to the people. It was, he's actually considered a very good emperor. He actually got named emperor two years after that he came into power and he was considered a good emperor. Did he love God? Did he have any relationship with God? No, but he was good for the people and he brought peace. Well, he created something that became extremely important and he had no idea that he was pivotal to the story of Jesus in that he was the most powerful person in the universe, the known universe at the time. And he put this census decree to take place. And as it took place, the unfolding of scripture was beginning. As it was prophesied in Micah chapter 5 two, some 700 years beforehand, that the Saviour would be born where? Children, where? Oh, we'll get to that one soon. Bethlehem, that's right. He was to be born in Bethlehem. And that was, in, that was given to us 700 years before it happened. And this emperor was the one that opened the door for that to happen. Let's read verses 4 and 5. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And that means, kids, she was really pregnant, and she had a child, and who knows what that child was? Jesus, that's what I want to hear. Now, Bethlehem, Bethlehem was a huge, mighty town. No, it wasn't. 
It was a small, insignificant town. It was a tiny place. Now, Scripture continually reveals that God chooses insignificant people and insignificant places. If you have ever felt insignificant, you are the one God is focusing on continually through Scripture. Now, Joseph and Mary had to travel by foot on a... Correct. We're going to do well today. This is what I want to hear. On a donkey. How far did that donkey have to go? A long way. That's right. It was a long way. It was 120 kilometres. That's a long way to go on a donkey. And just think about it. Mary, she was very pregnant, and she was on the donkey. 120 kilometres had to go. Now, for those people who have given birth to children, you would know this. The last child we had was 23, 24 years ago. And you had all these different things of how to bring on labour. It was, let's drive over a bumpy road or let's go for a long walk. What are some of the latest crazy ideas as far as to bring on birth? Anyone got any? No. Well, could you imagine Mary? She's on this donkey for 120 kilometres going over incredible terrain and I kind of think, whoa, what she had to endure. Now, both of them had to go back to... Because there was a... Counting? Good, that's good enough for me. And they were sent back there because that's where Joseph's lineage was. Luke calls Bethlehem the city of David. Now, we often skip over this part when it says the city of David. Oh, yeah, what is that? Whatever. But um, why did he mention it? Mentioning that David, Luke reinforces that Joseph and Mary were descendants of David, which fulfills the prophecy that Jesus came from the line of David. But here's the but. This was the first time that Bethlehem had ever been called the city of David. Now, Jerusalem had been called the city of David, and that's what it was known. And for some 40 times in the Old Testament, it was called the city of David. But this was the first time it was called. Now, Bethlehem was near Jerusalem. So it wasn't that far. Remember, it's a small place. It was some seven kilometres away from Jerusalem. Now, from here this morning, I googled, let's see what it's like from here to Doug's house. How far is that? And that's 9.3 kilometres. So Bethlehem was closer than Doug's house at the other end of Shepparton. So it gives you an idea of perspective. Now, in the minds of the common person, person, Jerusalem was the seat of religious power and political power and authority. King David had conquered Jerusalem in 1010 BC, and that's why they called Jerusalem the city of David. But there are various thoughts to this verse as far as in the unfolding of it. One of the thoughts is that Luke is making a political statement here by calling Bethlehem the city of David. And that is he is challenging the leaders of Jerusalem who asserted that all the wealth and everything and religious centre came from Jerusalem. Well, Jesus came to say that this is not the religious centre of, of, of God. He, he came to say that what the, the leaders were doing was wrong. 
So this could have been what Luke was saying, was making a point that Jesus wasn't was saying that Jerusalem is not the centre as they were saying. Another thought is that Luke reminds the reader that King David didn't come from a place of great power because often people assumed he came from there. But no, King David came also from Bethlehem. Exactly. Other words, a town that was insignificant. Let's read verses 6 and 7. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in a swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, it's often assumed that Mary just got to Jerusalem just in time to give birth. But there's no scriptural backing of that at all. But what we assume that sometimes, but what it actually says here, it says in verse 6, while they were there. So there is an assumption that implies that they might have been in Bethlehem for an unknown period before she gave birth. Some things we just don't know, but some historic things we just assume, oh yeah, that happened, that happened, but not necessarily. Now, being wrapped in a swaddling cloth. Basically, the baby was, baby Jesus was all wrapped up. Now, this is a, a question for the dads. Why do we wrap up a baby after it's born? What, what's one of the reasons we wrap up a baby? Come on, you experienced dads, yes? That's exactly right. To keep them warm, and it's to stop them from scratching their faces. So that's one of the reasons why we wrap them up. So they wrapped up baby Jesus to protect him from getting um, nail marks over him. Now, we're informed that there was no room in the inn. So where was Jesus born? In a stable? Okay. In a manger? Yes, in a stable. Good. Now, historically, we all say a stable. But where in Scripture does it say Jesus was born in a stable? Anyone got the verse for me? It's not there. So why is it that we kind of come to the conclusion that Jesus was born in a stable? Any ideas? Yes, Doug, Doug, yes. That's right. Well... The conclusion is, what is a manger? It's a, no, it's a feeding trough. Jesus, this, this is probably more a better description. Jesus was laid in a feeding trough with all the muck of the animal saliva. That's what happened. <laughs> We have this idea of a manger, this beautiful scene, and we have this beautiful thing that we look at, but a manger is a feeding trough, okay? It's a feeding trough. Let's focus for the minute on the inn. We'll get to the manger in a minute. Assume 
there was no room in the inn because of the census. The census meant everyone had to come to their local towns. So it was basically full up and there was no room. To myself, this verse is quite significant because how people today have no room in their, for, in their lives for Jesus. There is no room in the inn for them to have Jesus in their lives. To have no room for Jesus means a person's life is filled with something else. And often it's, I'm too busy. Life is just too busy. I'm too busy. This is a commodity that a person has which they can choose to hand over to God. Who amongst here has been guilty at times of having been too busy? And, and I'll be the first as far as I'm too busy. And that's a commodity we can give to God. A person's commitment and depth grows in Jesus when they allow Jesus to fill their lives. Some people, some people choose to only allow Jesus to fill a little bit so he doesn't inconvenience their lives. And do we allow Jesus to consume our lives or are we controlling the parts that we don't want him to have control of? You know, these are very important questions for us to ask. Is there room in the inn of our lives for Jesus? Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. No room in the inn is symbolic of what happened to Christ as there was room for him on the cross. There was no room for him in the inn, but there was room for him on the cross. Let's just focus on the manger. I remember as a kid taken to Myers windows, my mum would take me there, the beautiful windows you would see, and they would have this beautiful manger. As I talked before, we have this beautiful manger scene, and, but we don't know exactly that how the scene was, but what we do know was that Jesus was laid the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, the most high one, he was laid in an animal's feeding trough. So where are we going here? Jesus came to be born in an insignificant family. Mary and Joseph had to travel some 120 kilometres on foot to an insignificant town, only to be born in a place where there was no room for them, Mary then placed Jesus in the only place that was available to her, an animal feeding trough. And as I reflect on this, I think how humble our God is. He came as one of the lowest to the muck of the sin of this world to show us that it doesn't matter who we are, where we're from, he came for us. The focus on the birth of Christ is this, in, in Christ alone. Everything else was insignificant, in Christ alone. Let's go and see what's happening with the shepherds. Verse 8, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. Now sheep were used for temple, temple sacrifices in Jerusalem. And they came from this area. And this area had prize grazing fields for the shepherd. Now, historically, the shepherds were seen as 
really great guys? No, exactly right. They were seen as outcasts, they were seen as peasants, even they were despised by the orthodox people of the day. Now the message of the arrival of the Messiah was first given to the shepherds. Just think of that. The shepherds were the ones that provided the sacrificial lambs for Jerusalem for the sacrifices. The shepherds were the ones who declared the coming of the Saviour, the coming of the sacrificial lamb to end all sacrificials. How appropriate it was for them to announce it. This just goes to show how the narrative just fits together beautifully of the story of the birth of Jesus. Now, verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, it's easy to go, hum, hum, an angel appeared, okay, but can you just imagine it? You've got the shepherds out in the fields, and boom, there's an angel. Who would have fear? I certainly would. It'd be like, what is going on here? The angel appearance was instantaneous and it was shocking. One second they were peacefully mining their fields and then there's the angel. Then we read on. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now this verse is really a key verse for all of us at exchange and our lives and our witnessing. This is the beginning of the gospel message. It's this verse where we launch from with the story of Christ for what he has done. This is the launch. Like, okay, what does gospel mean? When we talk about the gospel message, what's gospel mean? Good news. What's the verse? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news that the great joy is about to be unfolded. Let's continue to verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. From the very beginning of Christ's birth, it has been proclaimed who he is. First, he is called Saviour meaning Christ has come to rescue, to save us from our sins. Secondly, he is called Christ, which means the anointed one. Thirdly, he is called Lord, which means having authority and power, but also is, divine, is a divine name for God. And then we go to verse 12, and this will be the sign for you, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. So the shepherds were told, the saviour has been born, he won't be found in a cradle, but rather he is lying in a feeding trough. Now I really want to stress this point. This was not normal. It was not normal to place then a baby in a feeding trough. So it was something extremely abnormal that was told to the shepherds to go. And once again, it is such an example of how humble our Lord is as he displays his glory. 
Verse 13 and 14. And suddenly there was an angel and a multiple of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Another boom event. We've got a host of angels that are happening. A host appeared. If we had that here, I'd be going, Doug, we've got social distancing problems. There was just angels everywhere singing for the glory of God with the birth. What an incredible moment. What a choir that would have been to join in. I can just imagine what the the shepherds were just left there stunned. Now, it was customary for when a boy was born that musicians would go to the house to play simple tunes for the celebrative of that delivery of a boy. There is no record of that with Jesus But what there is a record of is a host of angels rejoicing in song for the coming of the Saviour. Now, Jesus claimed no special advantage over common man. He never claimed it in his birth or in his life. Jesus came to live amongst the common person. Some conclusions. Do you have time to bend the knee at the animal food trough, to worship Jesus who came as the Saviour, the Christ and the Lord? Are you prepared to make room in the inn of your life to not only let him in, but to let him consume your whole life? The Christmas story is a nativity scene which is very safe. Even the secular world doesn't have a problem with it. But what they don't accept is Jesus is God, Jesus is Saviour, Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Lord, and Jesus is the Messiah. Today we rejoice in both the hope and the joy of the coming of the Lord. And when I say the word hope, the word biblical hope is an absolute certainty. So whenever you read the word hope in the scriptures, it means absolute certainty. Christ absolutely came as an infant to rescue us as he was on a rescue mission. Let us pray. Lord, we praise you for your perfect plan. As you unfolded the rescue mission with you in the animal feeding trough. Lord, open our eyes to see your glory in your birth. Open our eyes to who you truly are. Open our eyes to see salvation is only through you. Lord, break us where we need to be broken. Restore us where we need to be restored. Challenge us where we need to be challenged. And Lord, grow us where we need to grow. This Christmas and every day, direct our lives so that we Trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. 
If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.